0: This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma Podcast. Empowering an informed electorate. I thought we
1: were informing an empowered electorate. In In the the city city of Destiny.
0: destiny.
1: Citizen Tacoma. My heart Citizen
0: Tacoma, I'll always vote for you. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. Today on Citizen Tacoma, we interviewed Robert Toms, who is running to retain his seat on the Tacoma City Council.
1: That's right. And he promised to hook you up with Maria Cantwell, (laughs) your hero. (laughs)
0: Wouldn't that be nice? But it was very interesting to talk to an incumbent because it was an inside view of the city council that we haven't had from any of our previous guests. Yeah,
1: it was interesting. And he talked about roads again, too. We're all interested in roads.
0: (laughs) So listen in. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Thank you. We're happy to have you here today. We start all of these interviews with everyone talking about their Tacoma story. So how long ago did you come to Tacoma? Where do you live? That kind of thing.
2: Marvelous. Well, I came to Tacoma in 2003. At the time, I was working for then, you know, as the Eastern and Central Washington director for Senator Maria Cantwell. Mm. And so there hadn't been a Senate office in Tacoma in over 30 years. And so at the time, you know, the 2000 race when she won. Sort of the tides of where you needed to have voters was less – there used to be a political maxim statewide that all you needed to do is go up to the space needle and you saw all the votes you needed. But that changed in 2000 (laughs) and and that race was the then closest race in the history of Washington State. And a large part of where we thought there was places to gain was in Pierce County and so tacoma and so there hadn't been an office here in 30 years and because of my background in the military and having a good rich history of working with you know folks in in eastern washington she said why don't you go open an office in tacoma so that's how i came here as via via work um and so when i first moved here I was sort of geo bachelor. My wife lived over in Spokane, and I lived at the Harmon, which <laughs> was an interesting place. Uh, fun because you could just go downstairs and have a dinner. But at the time, yeah. there was a number of other sort of people like Mark Lindquist lived there for a bit of time. Yep. Fellow by I him. have
0: friends that lived yeah. there as well. <laughs> yeah.
2: Kurt Fritz. There was a handful of folks. So, And then when I bought a house, I used to live at 25th and Jeanette. Mm-hmm. And now I live in what is classified, I guess, as Stadium District. I live right on Garfield Park on borough Road.
0: Nice. Our children go to the same elementary school. Yes,
2: this is true. <laughs> Very good school.
0: Yes, it is. Um, can you tell people about your background and qualifications and um how long you've been on the council and kind of a sure. wrap up there. How long
2: I've been on the council is the easier question. I've been on yeah. there I'm finishing up my first term. I was unanimously appointed to the position when Jake Fye went down to represent us in Olympia. And so then I served out the last nine months of his uh, term, and then I ran in 2013 and won. So I'm mm-hmm. finishing up that term. So I've been on the council just over four and a half years. Um, how I got into it is I I've always been, you know, I think people get into politics for one of three reasons. One, they just it would be a cool thing to do (laughs) two they have something in their crawl space that they just feel like government should do more or they believe in service and i would say the latter two are certainly the case for me at the time when the position came available i couldn't get a a cross uh, excuse me a a speed bump on my street and people come speeding by there and you know my life's been about service you know so i've been in the navy now nearly 23 years and so i just believe if you want to get involved you have to get involved and and i think you know that's important for all of our citizens and so i'd studied political science in college i did legislative stuff for the navy when i was active duty in the navy and ended up my career in the active duty side in washington dc where i was working on policy so then i worked for a few members of congress then when i came out here to go to grad school um, at the time i was working in olympia doing state policy stuff and then when maria cantwell decided she wanted to run for united states senate Um, There weren't a huge amount of uh, folks to call in Spokane to get (laughs) over there to run her campaign, so they called me because I was only two years removed from living in D.C., Mm -hmm. and I ran her race over there, and we won. And then I worked for her from 2000 to 2007.
0: Is she a good boss?
2: She is a (laughs) good boss in so much as that she is very dedicated to public service. She's extremely bright, capable, a businesswoman, um, and I think, you know, she's intense which I actually share some of that with her, but she is more than right most of the time. So that is what I like out of our elected officials, people that are, you know, dedicated to their job, have the requisite amount of experience to deliver what they're supposed to deliver for constituents. So some people thought she was sort of hard. I would say she was intense and focused on getting the job done.
0: She's one of my idols. Good. <laughs> well, we should have you meet her sometime. Uh, I have met her. Oh, good. I have you should have her, her. on the show. She would do it. <laughs> I would love to have her we on will the work show. On that. Okay. <laughs> I will follow up with you on that for sure. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your district?
2: Well, my district, I think it's the best district. Our district. Yes, our district, (laughs) because it's the heart of our city. It's actually the heart of our region, right? I mean, I have all of Northeast Tacoma. You take all of the port, all of downtown. You come up to right close to where we are on 6th Avenue to Union and down to 30th in a little swath of the waterway there, and then you have everything along the port. So it is, at one level, a, a challenging district in so much as you have two bookend neighborhoods, with all of our downtown and our port. Mm-hmm. So you have what I consider two of the best neighborhoods, one very old, which is the north end and very dense, and then you have one that's a little bit newer but also very high-valued homes. So, mm-hmm. you know, those they're just two significant parts of our community. And so yeah. I love it. And, you know, sometimes I get chastised because, like, well, everything happens, every all the money comes to downtown, and I'm like, well, I can't, I can't feel bad that I'm the heart of our city, right? Yeah. That is what God... Provided us, we're the heart of this area. we're right on the water. But it makes it interesting to to you know represent because you have all the interest down in the port along with neighborhoods. And, and I would mm. argue, um, the growth is now getting to a point where we have to do a better job of protecting our neighborhoods.
0: Right. So what do you hear when you're darbelling?
2: Well, I mean, for me, it's always been, you know, roads is always number one. That's not terribly surprising. Or it's always one or two. I mean, yeah. crime, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. at least on the north end over here, it's a lot of crime and then roads because we are number one in the state for property crimes. We're number nine in the nation for property crimes. And in my opinion, we've not done enough to take care of that. I mean, I was, mm. I've was i only been on the council four years, but I was the first person to put money in the budget for police in a decade. So six years prior to me coming on the council, there wasn't new money for new officers. And, you know, it took me two and a half, almost three years of being on the council to convince us that we needed to put some resources there. And so my number one job as a city council person is to make sure we are safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what, at the bottom line, I want the community to be safe. And as a parent, and you know this, I mean, what most people do when they move into a community is, are the schools good and is it safe? what is the quality of life and so that i take that very seriously i have 3 kids i care about other people's families and i i've had 7 crimes committed against me and i supposedly live in one of the nicest parts of town
1: yeah I, I, following up on both of those things, uh, property crime and the roads, um, two questions. One about property crime. Is there something particularly systemic in Tacoma that is leading to this crime as opposed to just enforcement or deterrence by the police? Number one. And number two – well, you can answer that one first. I'll, I'll get well, you I on the say, next one.
2: That's a good question, Doug, because, I mean, there's no one you know, way to to get to understanding it. What, what hadn't happened in – about two years ago, I called for – a property crimes task force to be created, because it, it isn't just police. There's some prosecutorial bandwidth challenges, um, and there's also some issues with where we would put people, even if we did prosecute them. So it was it was always it was all the way from the cops to someone going to jail in the courts. And so what I found, which I thought was most egregious from that, um, it took us almost a year to do the property crimes task force, um, was that we were not doing the evidentiary type of work like if for instance a, a crime in my house someone broke into a car it was easy to see that there are fingerprints but no one came out and did the forensics so they didn't catch the person doing it they didn't take the fingerprints to know who it might be and so whereas when they catch them at another crime they couldn't associate them with my crime which i thought was really 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 poor for citizens of tacoma that they because it is very hard to catch someone in the Act of a crime, and so what that report said was you needed more cops, you needed more uh, de- detectives, and doing some of the evidentiary work, and we also needed to to work with our courts. I worked quite closely with linguists and the courts to sort of say what would it look like for us to get more of these people through through the courts, and so um, in my mind, we didn't know what we didn't know. Now we know some of the facets that we need to change, and. You know What I kept hearing prior to me getting money for the cops was, well, having more police doesn't necessarily mean less crime. But if you take that line of logic, you I would say you can't say having less cops means less crime. So I would right. say having more police – in 2007, before the city started doing cuts, we had 398 police officers. As of today, we have 338. Hmm. So that's a contraction of 60. But yet we have – more crime than we did in 2007. So it was simply a budgetary issue. It had nothing to do with the commiserate level of crimes happening in, in our city. And as someone who lived on, in D.C. for nearly 10 years and from you know, Louisiana and New Orleans, I'd never lived in a city that had less than 300 murders. So I know dangerous cities and I've always flatly refused to believe that Tacoma is dangerous, but it does have a nagging set of crimes that need to be dealt with in a way that make people feel like it's not dangerous. And okay. and I think that's what we should we have to do that. That's what cities do. They protect their citizens. So if all I did was that, I'd be well employed, right? Mm-hmm. But there's other things we're supposed to do as well. But it's it's really as you could tell I'm sort of passionate about it. So what's your <laughs> second question, Doug?
1: Yeah, the second <laughs> question was about roads and it's something I've posed to other candidates in here. Um there's I don't understand how Certain roads are chosen to be improved and mm-hmm. others are overlooked. Um, I've, uh, the example I cite is that my mother lives out on, West, on off Westgate Boulevard on north of to uh, north yep. 22nd. And the roads were redone. Her her street, North Whitman, was redone. And there was nothing wrong with it. And if I want to drive to the north end from where I'm situated, I go down Alder. And Alder is a freaking mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. it's bumpy and holes. So, And it's an arterial. What's going on?
2: I'll explain it to you the best I can, but this is probably a 20 to 30 year in the making problem. When I came on the council four short years ago, the budget for the city was $396 million. And of that budget, we were spending 4.9 of it towards the roads, which is a lesser percentage than any of us spend of our own home upkeep. It was just Mm -hmm. years and years of not making it a priority. And then the citizens, to their credit, joined us in passing a bond that gave us historic level of money, but still only, you know, 300 million range, whereas we we probably have somewhere between a 1.7 and $2 billion problem. And what you're seeing, Doug, is there's categories of where roads are. Um, and let's just focus on two of them. Failing and near failing. Those are the last two of the categories, right? Failing and near failing. The budget that we have right now is is not enough to address the failing roads at all. But From an engineering perspective, they're sinking the money in that near-failing to keep them from going into the failing category. Mm. So if you have a failing road, which many of us do in the city of Tacoma, it is very likely outside of doing pothole repair, it is not on the list to be done. And that, to me, is embarrassing. But we didn't ask for enough money. We should have gone to the voters and said we need $700 million. So my goal with the $300 million is to spend it so fast as to make people's lives see that we're doing a lot of road work. So, and I would say the only reason we didn't do more than 300 is because at the time when we were doing that, people have a lack of confidence that we would spend the money wisely. Mm -hmm. So the number 300 was just what I believe the pollsters probably told city administration, that's all you can get away with, Mm -hmm. right? And so for me, the fact that I have to go to constituents and say, well, if you live on a Phelan road, we're probably not going to do anything right now. You're not on the list, but if you're like, I can't speak for Vasalt specifically unless I looked it up. It could be any number of reasons why they did it. It could be they were doing underground utilities or it was in that near-failing category or something along those lines. But we have to do better. I, When we lost the first bond initiative, we were, if you recall, there was a big debate about the gross earnings tax and should it go towards roads. It failed. So when that failed, I asked the city manager at the time, I said, well, what are we doing with the existing gross earnings tax? Oh, well, it goes into the general fund. And I said, well, how is it that we just asked people to use gross earnings tax to go towards roads? They told you they weren't convinced that you would spend it that way. But the money we currently have from gross earnings tax is not going only to the roads. So I passed an amendment along with a colleague of mine, Joe Lonergren, that took the monies that were going into the general fund and, and bifurcated them and put them into the roads. So in that one act, we we nearly doubled the roads budget from $4.9 million to just over 11." by saying, we're going to do what we're asking the voters to do. And mm-hmm. and that's what we have to do. We have to comport ourselves in a way that people have respect for us, have they're inspired by what we're doing. And I would argue governments have to do a better job of doing the basics extremely well and then asking for additional responsibility.
0: Okay. Thank you. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break for some words from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll talk about some meaty issues.
1: This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel Two Five Three sister show, The Nerd Farmer Podcast. Channel 253 is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. Alaska's our hometown airline. They have the best flights to where I want to go without having to stop in Dallas or Minneapolis on my way to get there. But even more than the flight times, I come back to Alaska because of the service I get when I'm in the air. You know I love the cheese plate. That's a must. And you know I love their craft beer selections. Alaska also has some sort of magic tech that lets me use chat apps on my phone for free so I can keep in touch with my friends on the ground. But you know, sometimes I want to pretend I'm unreachable for a moment, too. So for that, Alaska has free movies I can watch on my phone. Seriously, it feels like magic. Try it next time you fly. Cheese plate, craft beer, free messaging, and movies. We'll never look back. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com.
0: Okay, we're back. Um, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. All right, very good. <laughs> um, could you please talk to us a bit about the current actions the city is taking to combat homelessness.
2: Yeah, we've taken a uh, what I believe to be um, a really deeper, really paradigm-shifting sort of approach to it, um, mm-hmm. meaning instead of just allowing things to happen, which is sort of what I think we were doing and not really holding ourselves accountable and those who we would be serving accountable, we've upped sort of the posture of the city. Um, and i Personally, put in two measures that were limiting how long you could sleep in a car from seven days to 72 hours and then making it um, to where you could not sleep and camp in public spaces. Because what we were finding is our emergency responders, be it police or fire, really had limited ability to do anything with someone if they found them in encampments. So when I first came in office four years ago, the big place where encampments were in my district were along the Bayside Trail. Um, and they were causing problems with the slope stability, and you know there was some amount of belief that it was having a, you know, a negative impact in crime in certain areas. And so, what really brought me to the fore of it was several months ago. The 705 had somewhere in the magnitude of hundred plus people there, mm. and I had asked the state department of transportation to deal with it, and they basically said, "Yeah, we're we're okay." And then some a little. Something happened in Georgia where a bridge is, uh, was compromised because of people doing drug activity underneath, and it compromised the integrity of the bridge. Once that happened and I talked to the State Department of Transportation, they agreed, hey, we might want to get these people out of there. It was one of the largest active transportation projects in the state is happening right at the 705 I-5.
1: Right.
2: In doing so, because I had been hearing from businesses, Brown and Haley, the Dome District, uh, was having a, a con, you know concentration of activities that were related to having people on the street. And I felt we were doing on both ends of the spectrum from an enforcement perspective. I thought our posture was not where it needed to be. And then from what are we doing to address homelessness? I didn't think we were doing a good enough job. And so I suggested we need to figure out who is on our streets and why they're there and then build a process to get them plugged into their services. And what I found out of every 100 that are down there, 10 or 15 were, you know, would-be bad actors. They're down there doing drugs or other type of nefarious activities. 25 to 30 are somewhere on the spectrum of mental illness and deserve to get the services that they rightfully deserve to get as a result of their uh, mental illness. And then about 60 of them were homeless, right, and needed long-term housing stability. But we were treating it as if we have 100 people. And so instead of it being a problem, because you can solve problems, it was a conundrum hmm, what do we do with all of these vast people? And they were, I take it from a perspective of having lived on a ship in the Navy where there were more than 3,500 people on my ship. I knew at least 2,000 of them by first and last name and many of them I knew their families. So we only have somewhere in the magnitude of on a low-end 500 and on a high-end 1,200 people that live in Tacoma that are on the streets. So I know you can address the number if you take it on as a problem that can be solved. The latter two halves of that... Long-term stability and the root causes of people being, you know, without incomes and stuff like that, those are harder to solve. But the stuff that we are supposed to do if we get back to crime and making sure we have a quality of life that we want, those are things we are supposed to do. And actually, we're sort of uniquely qualified to be able to do it. We shouldn't just allow people to fester on our streets. It's not good for them and it's not good for our community. And so I just said, no more. We're not going to allow people to sleep on the streets of Tacoma. We're going to find out where in the continuum of those three categories they are and get them put to where they need to go. Right now what happens is the commingling of bad actors with mentally ill puts stressors on people that are already in a stress situation and then – Obviously, people that are on the streets are stressed. So it it just – the commingling of them does nothing good for anyone. So what we did, we did the stability site, which is at Portland and Puyallup. And incidentally, I'm taking a a tour of it later today with the director of homelessness uh, services for the city of Seattle because they believe we've done something very unique and that we're seeing gains. And so Mm. they're actually coming down here at 1.30. I'm taking them on a tour to show them what we're doing because Mm. they believe what we're doing is working perhaps better than what they're doing. So we're – I think once you – it's a push and pull. You have to put enough pressure to get people to sort of see that there's a line to go figure out where to go. And then it's a it's a pull because we need to go pull additional resources. And a lot of the programs, if not all of the programs that deal with mental illness and housing are at the federal and state level. Those are – housing comes through HUD. We have a great organization, Tacoma Housing Authority, that can help us with the housing issue. Mental illness, we need to hold our state – accountable to why we have so many people on our streets that suffer from mental illness and we cannot simply medicate them that does not work I do not take my own medicine five out of seven days when I got a cold so I can't imagine someone who's on in a situation where they're stressed out and on the streets in inclement weather like this are able to take their meds it's not working
0: What would you say to critics that assert that warrants and collections um, make it less likely for a person experiencing homelessness to be able to find their way out or to accept help and trust from the city that these measures are essentially criminalizing homelessness? Well, I
2: would say I think it's – I think their criticism is perhaps misguided in so much as when we did the 100 people under 705 and I was handing out vouchers myself. We only had two people avail themselves of the vouchers, right, and I think we at that time we had about 22. So when we were just simply walking through saying, hey, would you like a voucher to sleep in a bed tonight, and only two people took us up on it. Since we've created the stabilization transition center sites, we've had, you know, over 10 who've moved out entirely and people are doing stabilization plans for housing. What it does is it has nothing to do with trying to penalize them. It has nothing to do with trying to make them pay fines or fees. Those are very minimal. What it, what it does is it allows the police to not just say, hey, you just have to move on because I don't think that's fair to them. I mean yeah. we, we have to hold ourselves accountable, meaning what are we doing? Who are they? I mean it's ironic to me. This is an interesting analogy, but we know more about the salmon going up and down the Puyallup River because we fish tag them to know if they're in a hatchery or they natural and we make sure you can't fish them. But we don't know who are on our streets because no one wants to do a full accountability of who they are. Why is Robert Toms on the street? Why is this person on the street? And hold it, hold us all accountable to that. And so what I think it has done is it has allowed us to systematically – capture people's information and put them in a queue to understand where they are right now. We only, we have less than a hundred people there, but I can assure you the efforts were to get rid of the, the bad actors. And as I said, out of, I was finding at least in the three or four encampments that I've done in my time on the council, I think I have more encampments in my district than anywhere else in the city. Um, because of the, 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 where all the services are downtown and, and you could ask Catholic community services, what they think. Um, what this has done is allowed us to sort of get them into the place where we can try to stabilize them. Just saying, you know, move along, move along doesn't work. It wasn't working for the businesses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't working for citizens who felt like, you know, we had people. I remember my son asked me one time, and there was a, a person who clearly was either sick or something was wrong with them, and they were on the side of the road, incidentally enough, over by um, Costco. And, you know, and and he's like, what's wrong with him? And, you know, and it makes me feel bad because as a human being, I want to pull over and say, let me find out what's wrong with them. But too often we drive by them and it's assumed someone else is going to help. And I feel like we're all paying enough taxes. We pay enough to our state and federal as well to have programs that we hope will take care of these people. And I want to hold everyone accountable. I want a list of all the people that are mentally ill who are qualified to be on programs and say, Governor Inslee, what are we doing with all these people that are on the streets of Tacoma? How is your system helping them? Mm. And, and that is what I believe we need to do. And it has certainly never been my intent nor the intent of this council or the city to make it illegal or make them ha- – the, if you look at our numbers, we don't do much about – now, if you're someone who's doing drugs and trying to you know, take drugs from people that have mental illnesses that have certain types of drugs, yeah, you're going to get in trouble. And we're not allowing you to stay at our place if you want to do drugs. I mean, that's what they're doing in Seattle. They have a place called the Navigation Center where they allow people to do whatever they want to do in their center. And I think just my military experience says and my experience as a, a parent says, you know what, sometimes parameters help. Putting the rails on the on the lane keep the balls from going in the gutter. And we need to make sure we do not allow people to sleep on our streets because we failed them.
0: Hmm. I believe I read in the News Tribune that the city's shelters are full with waiting lists. Yep. And if it's now a criminal offense to sleep in your car or on the street, what happens to those people? Well, what we
2: do is we, we just try to steer them into the existing services we have. Now, the, what you're saying is it is absolutely true. Long term, we do not have capacity. And, and we do not cite people without capacity. That was part of the emergency ordinance. You will only get cited if we have a place for you to go. Right, mm-hmm. and in theory, you're getting plugged into the transition center, and from there, you're getting into services. So let's just say, back to the, the seven hundred five. At that time, we, at any given time, probably have about twenty-two beds available at night. Yeah. Right, and so what I, what I would argue is we have hundreds of people that need it, and so when there isn't capacity, we do not cite them as as such. Hmm. Right, but I mean, we're still trying to get, in my opinion. And it's working is saying, "Hey, we'll drive you down to the stability site and see if we got a place for you there, and then plug you in." We're just not, "Hey, keep on going." Yeah. You got to go to 27th, not 26th. And so, yeah. long term, we have a we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, the longer term problems are inequities, uh, you know, people that are incapable of having a, a stable income, and those are the places where we're going to have to work on micro housing, which is a good idea. Dormitory, tile. another initiative I'm working on, which is in the very early stages. So we have a lot of bank-owned properties in the city mm-hmm. that were foreclosed on, that the banks have been paid insurance for for the, the um, houses. And we're talking hundreds of them. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what we can legally do to take those houses over, rehab them, and maybe have those as availability of housing. And those are in the hundreds. Yeah. But there's some legalities of – Do we take it from eminent domain? How do we take it away from them? In theory, the banks have been paid for them because they had insurance on the faults of the loans. And so we're trying to put our arms around that. And I'm confident with the help of Tacoma Housing Authority, which is a national leader in housing. I mean, Tacoma Housing Authority is second to none nationwide. I mean, they've done Salishan, which is the largest such development in the country. Right. And they've, so they've been very progressive in how they address this. Um, but I think saying enough is enough, putting a line in the sand is sometimes the right thing to do. And it may sound painful for some, but I'm convinced the long term salvation to this is drawing the line in the sand and saying enough is enough.
0: Hmm. Well, the other thorny issue we wanted to cover today is the LNG plant. So um, I'm interested to hear everything that you have to say about that. I know that you were one of the first people to come out against the methanol plant, which Mm -hmm. we all appreciated. Um, Something that I don't understand after interviewing nearly everyone running for anything in this election season is exactly what the city council has power over when it comes to the port. Um, I think a lot of people are um, talking about their positions without a lot of knowledge about what is exactly in the control of the positions they're working for.
2: I'd agree with that. I mean, it's a tricky one, especially if you've not worked with ports in the past. Um, Having worked at at the federal level and, in theory, known a decent amount about all 39 counties and all the major players, I've worked with the port of – Tacoma, Port of Seattle, Port of Olympia, Port of Mosley, you know, for many years when I was with Senator Cantwell's office. And the old saying about ports is they're just private enough to tell you no and they're just public enough to tell you no, right? Mm -hmm. They're sort of this amoeba that you can never really put your fingers on to control them, right, because they're their own entity. But another thing that I was told is when you want something from them, you don't, you know, shoot them with a shotgun. You put a laser on their head and get what you want. But you have to know what you want. And I would argue many communities, in in our case – up until these recent debates we didn't really know as a community what we wanted what i've come to believe is the community wants less hmm. less intense industrial activities happening in our community and i agree with them i mean i said it as much when i talked about methanol i said you know it's not really debatable i mean we live in a world you know a world class state we we live right on the water who would want more of things that are potentially dangerous and or troublesome for our community? And so that's why I asked, you know, almost two years ago, I said, we need to start really zoning this in a way that meets the values and sensibilities of Tacomans, right? Mm-hmm. And so – but at the time when we worked with our partners with the port, you know, they were, well, you know, we can do this. And it, I think there was just a general disbelief that the, that the lands had shifted, right and and I have experience in this in in two categories one when I worked in when I was going to college in buffalo new york I worked for the congressman there at the time and it was the site of love canal and so this gentleman was a devout catholic first generation italian congressman who was from buffalo new york represented the 29th district at love canal he said to me one time when we were talking he said robert evolution's real and when people's knuckles don't drag on the ground, they never drag again. And he was speaking to Love Canal. He said, I took four years of my career debating whether it was dangerous or not dangerous and how bad it was. And I spent the rest of my career trying to fix it. Hmm. Right? And what he was saying and what I took from that is communities arrive at a different place. And you cannot dial back people's you know, it's sensibilities their experiences. I mean, that's all of us as adults. I remember I love being from Louisiana. I can never live there again because (laughs) of some of the things that were accepted there. Mm. Deep-seated generational, you know, racism, you know, inequity of income and what people's lives were like. As much as I love the idea that I can cook gumbo because I'm from Louisiana, I could never live there because I could never put myself back into that glass that has been spilt. I would argue our community, and I'm proud of it because... I've lived here, you know, just shy of 20 years. But, I mean, there was people when I represented the state that thought there were certain parts of our state that would never really arrive, right? They just Mm. sort of always were a little offbeat, weren't going to get there. And to me, this says Tacoma's arrived at a place that heretofore it had not. And it is time for us as elected leaders at all levels to recognize that and set the tone in zoning, set the tone in what we're looking for to be here, to Chart that future forward. Hmm. I believe it needs to be done in a very methodical, very professional process of the sub area plan process because then it isn't what we're doing this to you, we're doing it to ourselves because you're at the table with us. I mean, the hmm. tribes put in money, the ports put in money, we're putting in money. We sit with all these landowners in the adjacent jurisdictions, Fife, P- uh, Pierce County, and we walk through it hmm. and say, here's what we think are the challenges. And we're blessed to have a deep water port. I want them to be very successful. But we need to have this conversation. It's painful, but we need to have it because, as I said, we are not going backwards. Hmm. We are going forward.
1: Should the LNG uh, facility be part of that future? And and is it a done deal? Is it already part of the future? Well,
2: I mean, I, my suspicion is, is I generically say you always have – a chance until something's actually completed, you know, but, but based on the way the zoning is, it is, is, is a permissible use. So as we've learned recently with some of the changes, like the city recently settled a $3 million lawsuit with Walmart, where they tried to connoiter with the zoning after the fact, you know, we just tried to change the zoning and the legality of the detention center and found that that was an overreach. I mean, we have to, in my mind, I wouldn't say it's as much a foregone conclusion as that by the time we've had this community discussion the lng was already well into its permitting so it would be a, it would potentially be a legal thicket of taking from them and so i certainly don't want to put any of the citizens of tacoma's taxpayers dollars at risk for a, for a lawsuit yet again but but so my sense is, is that is where we are as it relates to lng luckily enough we caught methanol early enough and were able to say they're not vested, and, and they they sort of died of their own weight more mm-hmm. than anything else. The zoning still needs to be changed, Doug, and, and I think in the future, I mean, I shouldn't say I think. It is an absolute fact. The zoning is going to change in significant levels and will set the course for the next 50 years. It is the most important thing I think has happened to Tacoma in the last 75 years. Um and i'm uniquely qualified to work on it i you know i did the land transaction when it when we did the point rustin project that was the last job i did when i was in cantwell's office um, and then helped that project come online um, and so you know it's going to take people treating it as what it is is something that we have to do we must do now to get rid of the uncertainty there's a lot of uncertainty in our community there's a lot of people who are scared and we need to provide them certainty, both from those who want to invest in here and people that have already invested here in citizens. So I'm, I'm very uh, eager to get on with the, the process that allows us to say, say what the future should look like, and I certainly want it to be less industrial than its past, and I'm committed to working very hard to make that the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of such things, where do you, as a seasoned city council member, wish you had more civic engagement?
2: More personally?
0: Yeah. I've We've been talking about LNG with everyone <laughs> over the last couple of months. And it is still a mystery to me at what point citizens could have interrupted this oh, okay. process. Yeah. Well,
2: I did this – It's gosh, it's probably been less than a year now. We changed the notification process, which the notification process was mind-numbingly goofy in my mind. It was 400 feet. So 400 feet was – arrived at because it was the cheapest way to notify people because you didn't have to notify very many people if you only Mm -hmm. go 400 feet, be it a soccer field at Andy Wright, be it a plant down in the port. And so we just moved it to a thousand feet. And right now, even in what you saw in the intervals, they're talking about 2,500 feet from the perimeter. I think Mm -hmm. you have to notify people better. I mean, you live a busy life, right? Uh, We all do. So the idea that everybody is super engaged and knows what's happening, they don't always know what's happening. And, you know, what bothers me most in politics, in government anyway, is that sometimes when I say something, people are like, oh, you're just doing it because it's a NIMBY issue. And I say, guess what? We're all NIMBY. It's just a matter of when it arrives at your doorstep. Mm-hmm. So don't start pointing the fingers at me for saying I'm NIMBY about it. When it arrives at your doorstep, you'll be part of the club as well. Yeah. So the only way we get through that and what I think the city needs to do a better job of is notification. I'm committed to even doing it further than 1,000 feet. I'm willing to go to a half mile, one mile, depending on the size and, and, and scope of a project. I think mm. the more people know, the better. Two, as you saw um, in our – or if you see, if you ever come to our city council meetings, we take these public comments and and it's like an hour or two where people just say things that are on their chest – and we have no way of engaging with them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's you know we need to change and when we get through this election cycle with our new mayor I will implore to the new mayor that we need to change the way we do that. Um it has always been bad. I think you know in general for many years, there wasn't a huge amount of interest. So when yeah. you only have three people, you don't really need to, you know.
0: Have a new But process. now that
2: we have s- dozens and dozens of people through our committee process and through our hearings process need to do a better job of it being back and forth, a little bit more deliberative. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I was at, a, at a, a committee hearing several months ago where I came to testify. And they're like, well, we don't really let other councilmen testify before the other committees. I'm like, what do you mean? I, I mean, I was like – but I'm, I have a, an opinion that my citizens have asked me to share with you about this this issue, and it yeah. was actually the homelessness issue. We were talking about what was we, it was something in the um, along the lines of where who the, how we were notifying businesses, and I was like, "Well, you need to do," th-, and they they just didn't even take testimony, mm. and so I was like, "Well, that's sort of goofy. Why well, have a committee if I can't come to it?" So, I mean, this is new to the government here. And I I certainly have seen in my one term on the council that we can do a better job. As I was saying earlier, the beauty of local government is that you make the biggest difference. The challenge of it is it's never enough Mm because we have the smallest budgets and we have the smallest jurisdictional capacity. Mm -hmm. But we all live here. None of us live in D.C. Not many of us live in Olympia. But we live here. So we expect more. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. And I love to hear from people – What their priorities are, because a lot of times, if not almost 100 percent of the time, they align with mine. I mean, I mean, I think my idea of focusing on the basics and doing them extremely well is something that the citizens of Tacoma that I represent are excited to see us do.
0: Hmm. What should I have asked you? I know we talked about homelessness and LNG, and those are kind of the hot button issues. But like as you say, there's many other yeah, there's many. We could do another show. things. I don't know. To talk I mean, about.
2: based on some of your other shows I've listened to in the past, we didn't get to any of the goofy stuff of <laughs> like what do I like to do or this that and the other. Um,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. we we used a lot of the time talking about important yeah. things, but I would love to ask you the goofy questions. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, I mean, I think you know my big thing is just making sure our quality of life is good and and. You know, the proudest thing I've done thus far, and it took me three years to do, it, was when we put you know the school beacons across this, this school district. I mean, yeah. it took a bit of time because we had so many schools that didn't have the right safe safety apparatus. And so we put in new beacons and school zones across, I think, 24 of our 54 schools. Mm-hmm. And so that to me um, is – tangible. You know, even though doing the 19 new police, putting a new fire station in the port, those are all wonderful things. And I'm I'm glad that we've added capacity there. But it's really, you know, I want my family and your family to feel like the city cares about them and that we're doing what we can. And when little Max was hit last, you know, Halloween, it just brought to bear that at least by our school, people are blasting through there and no one seemed to do more about it. And you know, more than anybody, you live right across the street. So those are the things that keep me up at night and make me want to work harder. And I know I have the requisite skills, the right passion. Um, I have the experience of doing this, and I, I think results and experience matter. If, if at no more time than now, because of the significant issues we have as it relates to the future of our city.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much for taking yep, the time to much. come today. I know you've got a busy schedule to attend to. Yeah, so, about to go visit the homeless yeah, camp with Seattle. Go school those Seattle people. <laughs> yep, hopefully. <laughs> Thanks for coming.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Reverend.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find the Move to Tacoma podcast as well as the Nerd Farmer podcast.
1: And the Flounders B Team podcast.
0: If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at JennyJacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com.
1: This is Channel 253.